That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. I protest. I am not a merry man. The Bob Seska Show. Former Nation's Capital, it is Wednesday, June 28, 2023, and this is the Bob Seska Interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 889 of the Biden-Harris administration, 496 days until the 24th presidential election. You can find me on Instagram, the Bob Seska, Twitter, Bob Seska underscore go, Spoutable, and all the other platforms, Bob Seska, plus our Patreon page is bobseskashow.com. So first things first, this week's Trek Politics podcast is out right now. Mary Trump and I reviewed Strange New World Season 2, Episode 2, which involved civil rights and allegory for the trans community and so much more. And then we talked to one of my all-time favorite people, the spectacular Todd Stashwick, Captain Liam Shaw from Star Trek Picard Season 3, live from his nerd lair. I swear to God, this is a must-listen episode even if you're not into Star Trek, even if you're just into filmmaking and acting, you got to listen to this one, trekpolitics.com and on your favorite podcast player. So here we are. We ran into a scheduling conflict with our guests today, musicians Cersei Link and Christian Nesmith, but we're rescheduling them for July 19th, right after my vacation. Instead, we're going to rerun my November chat with another of my favorite people in the whole wide world, the amazing Amanda Wiss from Fast Times, Better Off Dead, Nightmare on Elm Street, and so much more. So stick around, especially if you missed Amanda the first time. And by the end, you're going to want to give her a great big hug. Meantime, think about supporting this fully independent podcast by subscribing to our Patreon page, bobseskashow.com. So this is me and Amanda Wiss back on November 30th, 2022. More fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show. Now I hear someone. Yeah. Sorry, I've never done this on an iPad, so I don't. That's okay. <laughs> I've never done it on an iPad either, as far as Zoom okay. goes. So I have okay. no idea how to advise you. But it's all working. This this seems to be working just fine. So sorry for the glitch. Um, and my like I said, my newish iPad has decided to semi crap out on me. So I was. It's so much easier on. A computer. <laughs> yeah, it's always easier on a computer, Amanda. I was just tweeting about that the other day. I so much prefer being on Twitter using my desktop computer than on my phone, where it just takes forever. I've got big thumbs, and it takes forever to type on that teeny tiny keyboard. Drives me crazy. Yeah. And I can only type with one thumb or on my phone or text. <laughs> That's and about so right, I can't yeah. even. 
when I see people with that are use are using both hands, I'm I'm very I'm super impressed by the simplest things. I know. And kids, they're amazing. I, first of all, I I'm sounding like a senior citizen now. But kids are amazing with how fast they can type on those things. And I'm just, I know it's like, I'm just learning to type again on those little teeny tiny keyboards. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? They're not, but that's like the thing though. I bet they can't actually type. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm like, um, I could be an executive secretary. I love typing. So how are you? I'm doing great. Oh my God, Amanda. It was so awesome to have you here uh, with Jody here at the house. And, I think the high watermark for me was our group photo in bed. That was <laughs> certainly memorable. And, you know, it occurred to me later that the last time I saw you in a bed, you were brutally murdered by Freddy Krueger. So that, I was. Yes. I never, yes. never drew that parallel when you were actually there, but that was so much fun. How did you end up connecting with Jody? How did you end up meeting Jody? Um, you know what? I did a pilot and a movie with her sister, Carrie. And Carrie and I became very good friends. And, um, and through Carrie, I met Jody. And, uh, and, we, and then we were all friends at that point. Oh, that's so cool. Jody is uh, one of the best of the best. I love Jody. I do too. Great, great I love friend. her. She's, yeah. she's so smart and funny. And that was such a madcap wild adventure when um, we came to visit you guys. Because she was just like, <laughs> Let's do something crazy. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. What did you think when Jody just corralled you into traveling to the other side of the continent to hang out at the house of two strangers that you've never, ever met before? You guys go, you two saying, so why did you want to come? Like, what, what made you want to come? You guys asked that like 10 times. And I was like, I was like, I don't know. We just got a wild hair. <laughs> Yeah, that was what's so funky about it. I think one of the first questions I asked was, so uh, why are you guys in town? Is there, there must have been some sort of meeting or one or both of you had some sort of convention to go to. And I'm thinking, well, it was nice of you to stop by and uh, I hope you have a good time at whatever it is you're doing here in town. And it turned out you were just here to see us. And yeah, that we, you were our reason. And I think we, you know, just... Um, Cause I just started traveling again this year. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, yes, let's go somewhere. Let's, let's go do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was, uh, you were pretty hunkered down for the pandemic, huh? I was, I was, and I, I stayed hunkered down, I think longer than, I mean, outside of, you know, filming, mm -hmm. but even on the film sets, like on television, I mean, you're in your own bubble. Like you're, you literally were sitting in little clear tents on the set and, wow. you know, tested pretty much every day that you worked. And so like, um, uh, Steven, who I live with was much, he, he sort of was uh, putting himself out there sooner than I was. Yeah. Yeah. I still, I'm still pretty cautious because I ended up getting COVID in May and I was really sick and I just, I just, it made me afraid of it. <laughs> May, of the, want it again. May of this year. So it was uh, yeah. Omicron or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, the funny thing was, was the first time I traveled, I went to see my sister in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when I was with her, she she works in a hospital. So she's tested all the time. And um, we were just at her house and hiking out in the mountains. And so I'm pretty sure I got it probably at the airport. Oh you my know? God. Because I came home with it and I was like, oh man, I finally left my house and I got yeah. 
and this far right. into it. That's my thing. Yeah. Like I've come all this way <laughs> to suddenly get COVID now would be devastating. I was so to me. mad. Yeah. I was really mad. And I have to say it did a weird psychological thing too. I like kind of got ashamed that I got it and I was embarrassed to tell people I got it. Mm-hmm. Obviously I had a high fever and I wasn't making good choices, but <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, why am I ashamed? It's a virus. Yeah. Like, yeah. So anyway. Well, I feel like we would all be better off as a society when it comes to the pandemic if every workplace was as strict with protocols as movie and tv sets you know what i mean yeah they were doing it right they were and also you know like my sister i said works in a hospital they literally are so short-handed and this makes me afraid to go to hospitals but Mm -hmm. um that they're like if you have COVID, you only stay home for five days and then you're mandatory have to come back to work. Right. So people are going back to work totally sick. I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. if they're that contagious at that point, but it just seems like yeah, that yeah. should be the one place they wouldn't want the nurses and doctors <laughs> to have COVID. <laughs> right, right. Well, and then there's the added extra worry. And this is the thing that kind of lurks in the back <clears throat> of my head and keeps me going with continuing to mask and staying up to date with vaccinations and so on. And that's long COVID. That's been freaking me out. Like the the idea yeah. of more than three months of symptoms. And then the fact that I think one in three people who get COVID actually end up with long COVID. So that's one of those things where I just want to stay away and just, I, I'm constantly conflicted between wanting to go and do things, which we sort of kind of do, but at the same time, we're still kind of, safe or trying to be safe because of that one thing, the idea of getting long COVID. Because you know what? You can get, you get colds. That just, that happens. But it's that unknown, the big question mark of whether or not those symptoms will continue on or create new and other physical problems on top of it. So yeah, that's a, that's a big concern. No. And you know what? And I mean, I, I know I'm more of an alarmist and about it than, Uh, even uh, most of my friends and Mm -hmm. things, but having had it, I still have a cough. So that's June, July, August, September, October, November. That's seven months. Wow. I still have a cough. Oh my God. And I got the COVID hair loss. Like, so there's things like my hair is falling out, like in clumps. And I mean, they say that is is temporary, but I am seven months in and I'm like, all right, that's enough. And so there's things you know, and I still often sound like I have a cold, which is was also like part of the COVID thing. And so, I, I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's other internal things happening. First of all, I, there's no one to really ask because, sorry, there's a trash truck outside oh, okay. my window. Okay. I think they're like literally throwing trash cans. Around. Yes, because they know um, that you're doing my show and that always happens exactly. on my show. I'm surprised, so, there's not a, I'm surprised there's not a leaf blower outside my window right now. Oh my gosh. Is. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Our leaf blower uh, is probably coming next. Um, and for some reason, you know, we live in a, you know, in a multi unit home, and there's two leaf blowers that come during the week. And we're, and they just blow all the dirt into our, our, you know, home. And it's like, ugh. but, um, Oh, anyway, so the COVID thing. So I, I say, you know, I, I think people should have healthy skepticism mm-hmm. about it. And, you know, and I try to be careful, too, because Stephen has never gotten it. And, um, wow. you know, so but they say there's a certain segment of the population that is just never going to get it for mm-hmm. whatever reason. But you know what? They don't know. They don't know anything about it. Like I yeah. asked my doctor, like, 
you know, are there, do I have other long COVID things going on? And she's like, how would I know? Like, there's just yeah. no way to know. Like, yeah. it kind of just does it, everything. It's in your circulatory system. It's in your endocrine system. It's in your, it can be in your cardiovascular system. It can be in your, you know, your skin, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I, be- say, I think it's weird. I imagine the hair loss thing as an actor is pretty nerve wracking. Have you had to uh, kind of work your way around that? I mean, cause it seems like, I mean, I didn't notice anything when you were here. I didn't say, oh my God, Thank why you. is Amanda Wiss's hair falling out? That was a, <laughs> wasn't a thing. I mean, it was, if it's happening, You didn't it's not... see all my hair on your floor when I left? Um, uh, yeah, it's probably my hair. That's what I was thinking, because I'm, <laughs> I'm losing my hair just because I'm old, <laughs> but oh not, gosh, not your well, hair, no. Oh my gosh, well... I do have to say, thank God I have like a huge mane of hair. So mm-hmm. it's not super noticeable. It's just, it's more just upsetting. And yeah, you know, so because I'm clueless sometimes when you were here, I totally forgot to ask if you have kids. Did you make it this far without kids or what's the deal? <gasps> I made it. I got out alive. I know that's notice the positive tone of voice that I'm using in that regard. It's so funny. I don't have kids. Steven doesn't have kids. Hmm. Um, So, you know, um, because we had met when we were quite young and dated for a while and then, you know, kind of came and went in each other's lives for many years. And so somehow in that we, when I was younger, I, I wanted to have kids. Yeah. But it, my focus, I didn't have, I didn't have the, um, hmm. I don't know. I wasn't, I think people that really want to have kids, even when they're actors or whatever, that's having, have starting a family is still a really big priority. And it, it wasn't. And then kind of that time went by and I was like, Ooh, yeah, kind of forgot to do that. So, but it, it you know, it, it's worked out fine. <laughs> ah, shit! I forgot to have kids. Damn it! I know. I'm like, I'm like, I left the baby on the bus. Wait, what? So, <laughs> what about what? What about you guys? Any, any kids? Oh no, I, I had a uh, a stepdaughter with my uh, first wife, and yes, that, it was. So I kind of had the experience. I raised her from age three to age eighteen when I split up with her mother. I never really had any ambition to have kids, uh, certainly not of my own. Uh, just being honest with myself, I, I'm i too self-centered for kids, Amanda. That's it. <laughs> That's what it comes I down gotcha. to. Yeah, yeah. I, I got you. And you know what? I think there's a reason... I mean, I, I mean, you know, there's people that actively try and painstakingly, you know, and heartbreakingly aren't able to, you know, have children. And yeah. there's the... Um, uh, you know, I just... I think everything happens in my life. Everything has happened for a reason. And sure. and I think that my life, it's turned out the way it's supposed to be. And, and on top of that, I have a huge Irish Catholic family and I have mm-hmm. tons of nieces and nephews. And so does Stephen also big Irish Catholic family. And we're able to be the super cool aunts and uncles. <laughs> yeah. That's a great place to be because you can enjoy the children and then you can go home. And that's what's exactly. wonderful about it. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So uh, you grew up in Manhattan Beach, speaking of kids? Yes, I grew up in Manhattan Beach. And and when I grew up there, I mean, I mean, I literally grew up in a Beach Boys song. It was, you know, the seven, <laughs> 60s and 70s. And the it, it you know, it was um, it was a smaller town in many ways. Like it could have been 
Oklahoma or, or, you know, the Midwest, it was a very simple, small town. Now it's mm-hmm. kind of Bel Air at the beach. Um, but it was, it was, you know, like a, a surf town. Um, it was safe. It was fun. Yeah. It was, it was a pretty idyllic, you know, place to, to grow up. Our schools were fun. Mm-hmm. Everybody was still pretty innocent and, um, you know, I mean, you have your normal teen angst and oh, sure. mean girls and stuff like that. But just as a whole, it was it was a remarkable place to grow up. I, I don't think there's that many places like that left in our country where you can have a kind of idyllic childhood, like in that way where, you know, you're, you know, I don't know, everybody's athletic and out. Oh, and yeah. Volleyball and surfing and the whole town comes to, you know, like the the hometown fair every year, you know, the four police officers that patrol the city and they know you by name. Mm. And, you know, it, it was, it was, you know, it was hard to get in trouble. <laughs> I am utterly <laughs> fascinated by the idea of growing up in Southern California during the sixties and seventies. Cause I grew up on the East coast with this very Catholic, very suburban world, this whole universe that I feel was much more sheltered than maybe growing up in a place like Manhattan Beach. Kimberly spent a lot of time in Torrance and Las Feliz and places like that, too. So she kind of had that similar experience where she'd be going to places like Burnout Beach. I can't even imagine the idea of, hey, you know what? I'm 13 years old. Let's go down to Burnout Beach. For me, that was not even (laughs) on the table. It was a completely different experience, but yet I'm kind of envious of that upbringing because it's kind of like the the front lines of culture of that time, of the 60s, 70s, and 80s in L.A. You were getting everything first, I think, before the rest of the country did. Did you feel like you had that experience or no? I do in hindsight. I mean, as a teen, I didn't, you know, I, I... I think my whole world just revolved around me. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about anybody else. Yeah. But um, but yes, in hindsight, you know, we, you know, you, I think that progression eastward, you know, with kids dressing like surfers and all that kind of stuff, I, I all came from, I think the the South Bay West Coast, mm-hmm. um, you know, which was, you know. Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach, Redondo Beach, um, Torrance was sort of a part of that. And, you know, the Beach Boys, I think, were from Hawthorne, which was just this, the city in from Manhattan Beach. And, um, uh, and you know, they wrote about that. And I think that through their music and other sort of um, music of that era, people felt they could get the feeling of what that was like, yeah. I think. And um, but it was interesting because. When I started acting, I mean, I started theater when I was young, like, you know, 11. What what sort of hit you? What what was the <clears throat> thing that infected you with the acting bug? What kind of convinced you that maybe this was something you wanted to try? You know, I went and saw a play when I was like in the sixth grade or I was in the play. I can't even remember because it was like sixth grade because in seventh grade, <laughs> I auditioned for a play in Los Angeles called The Innocence and I got it. And then the following year, I did The Bad Seed. And then through that, got an agent. So I, you know, it was all pretty young, but it was just seeing theater and being in school plays. I think, you know, as a kid, whatever, I don't know, it made me feel special. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly, mm-hmm. but I, I really liked it and it was fun. And I liked the camaraderie, like, of, especially in a play where, 
you know, you spend weeks rehearsing with people and, um, you know, and then that led to doing commercials as a teenager because mm-hmm. I kind of did all the California girl, you know, <laughs> tan, long blonde hair, roller skater <laughs> commercials. <laughs> right. And then, but the interesting thing was I realized like I had such like a beach culture vibe, like, like you know, we didn't wear makeup. We were like, you know, kind of, you know, hippie in some ways and, and sort of preppy in other ways. Um, but when I started auditioning and, you know, I would, you know, get my little VW bug and drive up to Hollywood. I was my agent actually, when I was quite young, like 19, mm-hmm. sat me down in a meeting to say I dressed terribly because I dressed like a little like hippie girl. And they were like, or I'd wear like a polo shirt and Levi's. Like I just didn't have any sense because I wore a bathing suit my whole life. I ran around in like a tube top <laughs> and a gauze skirt. So um, she was like, you, you, look at how the other young actresses are dressed. And I started, I'd never really compared myself before. And I was looking around the room and I was like, oh, they look super hip. I'm like, where do they shop? Because I'd never bought anything outside of like the cotton cargo. And then yeah, yeah. I didn't know. So uh, it, it took me a couple years to hit my stride as mm. far as fashion goes. Well, you were certainly doing something right because it seemed <laughs> like you started pretty early, just a, a couple of plays and then immediately you're off and away with an agent. So that's a pretty quick progression. Was it sort of mind blowing how fast that was happening? Was your head spinning? Like, where's this going suddenly? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I mean, it, it did in the beginning and then sort of the hard work sets in of, your, you, you know, you get the high highs where you're like working, working, working. And then, you know, at 16, already feeling like a failure because you haven't worked in six months. And wow, I was like, so, God. so you, you know, it sort of like programmed me mm-hmm. early, you know, like that, that I think acting, especially when you're a journeyman actor like me, where you're, known but not you know an a-list star or whatever you know there's it's it's a lot of feast or famine where you go through long stretches where you work and you could go through equally long where you don't and it's it's a lot of learning how to not have that be your identity or your self-esteem yeah. or your self-worth so it's a lot of work you know with that starting so young um because you're still forming as a human so it's easy to think that you're there's something wrong with you or or you know you know that nobody wants you or mm-hmm. things like that so um you know and then you know I would I started studying and went to drama school and things like that um because I then I by the time I was a teenager I realized how much I really loved it and I loved the craft of it and I wanted to have more skill in in that I have more tools in my toolbox and um so I've all, I've studied on and off my whole life. You know, I go through yeah. periods where it's, it's nice to get a little refresher, you know, be in a class where you're doing scenes from things you might not ever be cast in just to stretch your wings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, so starting young, you know, was a, it's a mixed bag because I think you have to work twice as hard to form yourself as a human, not just as an actor. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? I think people that started after college or already have a a sense of who they are. Right, right. And I think it takes a more mature personality to get to that place. Were your parents into what you were doing? You know what? I I think they were completely not interested. (laughs) They (laughs) couldn't care less um, (laughs) whether I was doing it or not. I mean, I think when I started being in movies that 
that other people said things. I, I think, you know, they were probably proud, but honest to God, n- neither of them ever said they were or showed any interest. Hmm. Um, in fact, there was times when I was younger, I would ask neighbors to come be my um, guardian on the set. <laughs> you oh my to, God. I would be like, will you drive me? I got this commercial and I need a guardian on the set. And they'd be <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> like, like, I literally did it on my own. And I look at young actors today, you know, like, where it's just like, I mean, there were things like even as a new driver, you know, you had to like pull out a map, a physical map and like plot out where you were going to go on your audition and <laughs> and bring a bag of quarters with you in case you got lost because you'd have to find a payphone to call your agent or and there are things like you had to really want it. Like it wasn't easy in, in California. I think, yeah. you know, in New York, people could hop on a subway, but I still even then like they you know, like now, you know, it's, I, I'm, I just think it's much easier. Um, you can just be known for being an influencer and, you know, everything is electronic and just show up like, it's just, it's like, it's like the Jetsons to me. Oh yeah. Um, yeah it yeah. was much more uh, hands-on. Can't, you had to really want it, especially as a young person, like before I drove, I mean, I'm, I'm no joke. I would ask neighbors. Ginny Burr, who lived across the street. And um, <laughs> are they thinking, oh, we, we should start calling child protective services on these parents for not accompanying their daughter? My God. Yeah, I think one or two people possibly did. Um, yeah, they they were, we were, they, we had an interesting childhood. Um, but, um, you know, we just, you know, but all, all my siblings and I, you know, ended up, you know, I, I'm the only one who didn't go four years to college hmm. and they're all very successful and, you know, well-adjusted humans who have beautiful families. How, so, many, how many brothers you know, and sisters? We were, we were, we were very can-do kids. Yeah. yeah. Very self, self, uh, self-motivated and uh, self-sufficient. Are they all uh, brothers, all sisters or a combination of both? I have two sisters and I had two brothers. One passed away. Uh Um, And so there's there's four of us and they're just they're great people. They're Hmm. hilarious and funny and smart. And were you the, um, the youngest, the oldest of the group? Middle. I was, I'm the Jan Brady. Oh, okay. Just in the middle. Yeah. I'm just like the, the one that doesn't, you know, just kind of like, keep your keep your head down yeah try to keep the peace <laughs> it's a stealthy place to be you can get away it's with more stealth. i think in that position right yeah. where where are you and your family i'm the oldest so i oh yeah you had to take care of everybody right what did your folks do i'm, I'm curious about what they did for a living uh in manhattan beach and to the point right. where maybe they're preoccupied with other, other things and not bothering <laughs> with uh uh, with, with raising their children. Yeah, yeah. Um, my uh, mom was a stay-at-home mom, <laughs> um, and uh, and my dad worked in the sheet sheet metal. Like he was a sheet metal artisan, and um, wow, I, I don't know. It, it's a. It was a really interesting. He and his brothers early on started a company called Wisp Brothers Trucks or catering trucks, and mm-hmm. they built catering trucks so they would say order um you know a hundred chassis from chevy and then everybody in the family would also get you know 
a Lincoln or a Cadillac or something. Yeah. And then they'd use these chassis and they built catering trucks and then, you know, people would come by them. And so it was kind of fun. And my dad, you know, just created and designed and did all the sheet metal interiors and sort of um, created, you know, I, they were some of the first creators of the, the original roach coaches. And, hmm. but the fun thing was at the time, back in the day, anytime you were on a movie lot or on location, all the catering trucks were Wiss Brothers. And I would look up and their name would be at the top because they were sort of the premier creators. And, you know, and like my dad, you know, could really make anything for a building with metal. Um, so, and then he was also like the grand poobah of the Knights of Columbus because we were raised in a really Catholic house too. Oh, yes. American High five. Margaret, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, high five. I know. And then the Knights of Columbus Bowling League and the Children's Bowling League of the Knights of Columbus. And then the Knights Columbus Hall was on Sepulveda, I think, in Manhattan Beach. And so, you know, we were there often. That's where everybody did everything. You know, every party, every 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 other, you know, whatever event. Did you guys have a Knights of Columbus Hall? Um, no, it, it was more like uh, we, it, the social occasions would happen around our church. That's primarily where, you know, all the Catholics would get together and have, you know, a spaghetti dinner and things like that. Yes. For some reason, Catholics love spaghetti. I'm not sure. Wait, and did you guys do the have the, the the Knights of Columbus would put on pancake breakfasts at the rec hall at the church? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. very much like that. And so I did yeah. the, the altar boy thing. I went to Catholic school for a number of years and, and wore uniforms and quite honestly uh, despite all of the things that have happened surrounding the catholic church all the awful things i i really never experienced it and i'm not saying that to forgive what's gone on obviously this right. has been the catholic church has been plagued by this crisis of of sexual assault but that was something that I never really witnessed. And so when I first yeah. started to hear about those sorts of things, it was like, uh, it was super <laughs> shocking. I, I don't know about you, yeah. but for me, I was like, oh my God, I, I never saw any of that. I was shocked too for the exact same reasons. And, and you know, and it's just, it would just be so easy to just let priests be married. Then the, this just would have never been an issue. You know what I mean? Yeah, let them have yeah. sex, let them explore their sexuality in a, you know, in a normal adult manner. And then mm -hmm. they wouldn't be, you know, preying on trying to be sneaking around, trying to get their, you know, sexual expression. It's just, it's just so dumb. Like that every other, you know, Christian religion, for the most part, people are allowed to be married. Yeah, right, <laughs> just, right. Okay, let's talk after party. Every Friday, Kimberly Johnson and I record a fourth Bob Seska Show podcast episode for the week. But this one's totally different from the usual Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday shows. The Friday After Party podcast is loaded with all the politics you want, while also including uncensored, completely obscene conversations about sex, drugs, movies, television, our personal lives, all the crap all that we can't get away with on the free show. So please help support this podcast by subscribing to our Friday After Party for just $10 per month. And bonus, you're also going to get two Shadow Docket episodes every week included in that level of support. That's bobseskashow.com or just click the all caps Patreon link beneath the logo at bobseska.com. And we thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Bob Seska! All-time favorites all day long! So when you did Nightmare on Elm Street, it wasn't like a complete shock to your parents. Like, oh my God, you're going to go to hell now, Amanda. Because you're doing this demonic (laughs) movie. And by the way, I don't think either of them ever saw it, so they had no idea. But this is a true story. The year after it came out, I forget, it, I, I don't know, it came out in August or September or October. I don't remember. But I was at my my parents' house in Manhattan Beach and handing out candy. And um, there was a couple of Freddy Kruegers that came. And I was like, oh, my God, I was in that movie. I played <laughs> Tina. And they were like, no. Like, they just were like, like that crazy old lady's lying. So, um, yeah, so. Nobody believed me. Did they go to any of your movies? Did they see any of your early work? My mom went with me to the theater to see Pow Wow Highway, which she loved. Right. <laughs> um, and and that was a great experience. And we saw it at, at the little cinema in, um, I think it was in Manhattan Beach. And, um, um, and that was cool. And then my dad... A couple times my dad did come to set... Um, I was doing a movie once when I was, I was like 19 and I'm not going to say, um, the person, but I was kind of being harassed on the set by a man and oh, man. my dad's pretty, he wasn't tall, but he was very formidable. What's the word? Formidable. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Formidable. Yeah. Um, you know, ex-Marine kind of scary. Well, actually very scary. And, um, he just came to the set and stood off to the side and stared at this guy. And the guy never even looked in my direction again. So my dad did that once. Nice. And then another, yeah, it was pretty great. Um, I, I was like, that's how you do it. Um, and then another time I was filming a TV movie called My Mother's Secret Life. I was nine, I was 20 maybe. And my dad came to the set because um, he wanted to meet Lonnie Anderson. <laughs> so he came to the set to meet Lonnie Anderson. And um, and um, he was super happy. So he, I think my dad was a little bit more like braggy about me, but never like to me. Like, I, I don't Interesting. know. I think he, yeah, he, I, I think, you know, he was just like, oh, I think they, I think, you know, obviously if I been like a huge star they would have been like now you're doing something i think they didn't really understand like the whole kind of artist path where you didn't work nine to five and you know what i mean i just wasn't in their their experience to understand why someone would choose that and because i think they would be more they were like like the kind of people that if i'd been a plumber they would have been very 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 happy because you get it's just a nice steady gig. 
Yeah, and looking back, do you feel as though that kind of grounded you more than some other people who might have sort of stage parents? Yeah, I I mean, I guess so. I mean, you know, they were just so not involved in any way that they kind of weren't even a part of forming how I felt about yeah. me or the business. Does that make sense? I mean, they were, you know, just doing their own things, whatever they were. Yeah. I mean, so <laughs> age 20, uh, Fast Times comes out. Yes. And yes. you had front row seats for the Sean Penn, Ray Walston show, sitting yes. r- right behind Spicoli on that set. Yes. What, what was it like where you didn't necessarily have to worry about any lines? So yes. you're sitting there watching all of this. What's going through your head as you're seeing these two giants play out <laughs> these hilarious scenes? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, obviously at the time, I mean, Sean Penn wasn't who he is today. Um, but I was I remember as a young actor um, and he was lovely to me on the set every mm-hmm. day. And and. Ray Walston was too, but he, you know, he's just, he was very, he was, you know, crankier. I don't mm. think he was having as much fun as the rest of us young people were yeah, having on yeah. that set. Um, but I, I was like watching Sean Penn had no censor or fear to go toe to toe with somebody as intimidating as Ray mm-hmm. Walston was and and such a fine actor as well, Ray Walston. Yeah. Um, and I really thought that, oh wow, look at that. That's I, I I was like, that's such an important element of what we do to be fearless, to not care personally that Ray Walston's being annoyed by what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because he, he was and Sean just fearlessly put it out as the character. I mean he 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 took a deep dive into that character and mm-hmm. stayed in um, character right right 24 7 on that set and um and and to some degree i i don't i think that annoyed ray walston or <laughs> or he was in character too i'm not sure but they were both lovely to me but watching mm-hmm. them create this tension and and the thing is ray walston wasn't thrilled with the things that were going on that sean was throwing out there in my opinion mm-hmm. um but he also knew it was working. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like that it yeah. was I mean he I mean Ray Walston was like, you know, he's a, you know, a, a fantastic actor who's was in everything and done everything, you know, from Broadway to whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he wasn't oblivious to that it was it wasn't personal. It was working and this was a young actor taking a deep dive and you know, I'm sure it seemed annoying to an, an old veteran like that, you know. What I yeah, mean? yeah. And then, you know, to be on the set watching the all these fabulous young actors my age. I mean, the thing that's crazy about Fast Times, you know, and credit to Amy Heckerling for her amazing she's such a fantastic mm-hmm. human, um, and talented and I just adore her so much was that literally every actor in that film either went on to be a huge star, a character actor like me mm-hmm. or left the business and are hugely successful to a person. Yeah. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's that, incredible. I mean, literally every single person in it. And, and I mean, yeah. that, I mean, that's just an in, pure insanity. 
And the thing I think at the time, contemporaneously, and I'm just thinking back when that movie came out, I was 11. You know, I was still in sixth grade, I believe. So it was a little, it was a culture that was kind of a little bit older than me. It was the high school experience when I was still in uh, grade school. But, right. but I think the reputation that it had when it first came out, that it was just sort of a silly TNA teen movie. But there's so much depth to that film. And yeah. yeah, obviously credit to everyone who performed in it, but Amy Heckerling and Cameron Crowe. And I think Amy Heckerling doesn't get enough credit for bringing some of that depth to the table. Because I think in the wrong hands, it could have been seriously bastardized into something worse. You know what I mean? Well, you know, I mean, she's a woman and our industry you know, has not always given women their due. I mean, and um, she was young and she's, she's amazing. And um, I agree with you. I always thought it was interesting that it was marketed to young people with all the, you know, abortion and, and Mm -hmm. sex. And there was things that, cause it wasn't like, and I'm not putting the movie Porky's down. I've never seen it, but, or, you know, American, whatever the, the more, you know, jokey teen films, because mm-hmm. it really wasn't jokey. It was, it was about, it was very much about teens trying to find their place in the world yeah, and yeah. figuring themselves out and going through a lot of hardship and, and emotional pain and things. And so like, it, it was, it was always, in, I mean, there are obviously very funny, you know, parts of it and stuff, mm-hmm. but it's really more of a, a, you know, I don't know. I just, I think it's almost like, you know, how like American graffiti, it, it was also kind of sad in places. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, where, that's how I feel like, like Fast Times was sort of the next generation's American graffiti. Exactly right. Yes. It was the first in a series of 80s movies that documented the live, sort of a slice of life look yeah. at teen Gen Xers. I mean, yeah. do, do you ever look back? at those years in your early 20s and miss the simplicity of it all? I mean, I've never been super nostalgic, but as the world becomes more complicated and chaotic, I find myself kind of longing for those days. And maybe it was when I turned 50 that I don't know what started, what triggered it. (laughs) But I look back at the times represented in, in Fast Times. And they they didn't seem fast. <laughs> they did in by comparison yeah. today, that title seems almost contradictory. I agree. Well said. I, I think I mean, as much as I'm addicted to my technology and social media and things or, or, or even now, like for actors, like you even see people like Michelle Pfeiffer and Jennifer Aniston and Julia Roberts finally joining Instagram because it's just kind of like required at some point. Yeah. And the thing is, though, like, there's no downtime. There's no quiet mm-hmm. time. There's no waiting for your phone to ring or is he going to call? You know, is, is, am I going to be able to meet someone at this party? I, I, I mean, there's just things like we don't we don't socialize like we used to. Well, part of the, the pandemic now, we're all like, you know, emotionally stunted and weird. But I just think <laughs> like there's just. You know, just even like as a, you know, at that age at 21, having to get out my Thomas Guide map to figure out how to get to Universal Studios and Mm -hmm. everything took a little bit longer. And it was, it was, you know, you had challenges in front of you and, and you see your friend. I just, I just feel like 
there's no anticipation really mm-hmm. of things like it's everything's at our touch like you don't have to look up a word in a thesaurus you ask alexa yeah right. you, do you know what i mean like you, <laughs> yeah like it's just like you we don't i don't know like i i do i miss the simplicity as far as you know there's just downtime i just feel like i'm always plugged in and people text 24 mm-hmm. 7 and you know and you haven't texted me back and it's only been 10 minutes and it's just strange. I just, so I long for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that said, I'm also completely as addicted to all of the technology as everybody <laughs> else. And so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh God. So yes. Yeah. In fact, I, I feel like it's, oh, it's changed us and it's not for the better. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I find myself watching movies like fast times or, or, or even something like better off dead and, and being envious of the characters like, Oh, well, yeah. that'd be great to go back to where you don't have to worry about text yeah. messaging and what's happening on Twitter yeah. and Elon Musk and Donald Trump well, and <laughs> ma- I mean, maintaining just all even these. Look at our, yeah. Our TV shows and movies that are made now and, or, you know, in the last 20 years, it's changed story structure mm. because there can't be any surprises anymore. Yeah, yeah. Everyone has a phone or the news is 24-7. There's no way to surprise someone in a script or in a movie because, you know, they, they have to do with dumb devices now like, <laughs> oh, you're, everybody's cell phone dies. Because right. It's the only way to create, you know, a mystery or a surprise or whatever, you know, and is I mean – even that, like what we're watching, our entertainment can't build in anticipation because you're every, they can't write characters that aren't plugged in because mm-hmm. everyone is plugged in. It either has to be the zombie apocalypse or, <laughs> you know, they said it back in the 90s or, you know what I mean? Like you can't, I, I find that interesting. Okay, we'll pause here with one more break. Back with more Amanda Wiss right after these words. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Bob Seska plays more music. Yeah, do you find it... uh 
exciting or frustrating or, or a little bit of both when it comes to the new landscape of Hollywood with all the streaming channels, streaming TV series, which is right. sort of becoming the new platform for filmmaking, uh, you know, where yeah. theatrical releases are fewer and they're more geared toward those big tentpole movies like the Marvel movies and Star Wars and so on. Do you find that frustrating or is it kind of liberating in a sense because there's more variety and, and more things that you can go out for? Well, I definitely think there's more things than just, you know, the three major or four major networks plus HBO Showtime, which which that's what it was up until, mm -hmm. all you know, when, I mean, the proliferation, I guess, was kind of at the pandemic when everyone saw that everyone was doing Netflix all of a sudden, like, everybody started streaming. Don't you think that's about when that started? Yeah, I think um, I, I kind of look back to something like The Sopranos as being right. the beginning, even though it was HBO broadcast or cable cast, whatever you want to call right. it. Right. Uh, but that was kind of the success of that show kicked off an entire right. new genre of telling uh, TV length serialized stories, but with an eye on you know, a serious theatrical release where the production values right. took a big step up and the performances right. took a big step up. And it wasn't just the sort of run of the mill, you know, primetime TV shows anymore. There was something right. extra that was added. There was a new spark. Well, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And that you could watch a series without commercials. Yeah. Um, and things like that. Yeah. Okay. You're right. That, that, that makes sense. And I think that there is a lot of opportunity obviously more opportunity and things like that. Um, I, I feel, I mean, for me personally, the, the, I'm not, my phone isn't ringing like it used to. Um, so I, I wish I was on a great TV series. It's totally would be a, the joy of joy. Mm -hmm. And I wish I was starring in Hallmark Christmas movies and I wish, I wish, I wish, but um, I am the, since gosh, the, well, kind of like the pandemic, I mean, I've, I've worked a little bit in television, but since then, but, um, I, I'm not, my phone isn't ringing Bob like it mm. did. And I, I really wish it was, I, yeah, I yeah. love what I do. I love acting. I'm good at it. Um, um, but I'm, I'm just. Where, why isn't Amy Heckerling calling me? <laughs> I know, I know. Well, it's it's shocking to hear, uh, Amanda, not only because you're a wonderful actor, but there seems to be this new um, kind of retrospective look back at the 1980s, uh, you know, right. and whether it's something like Stranger Things or Cobra Kai, uh, there's got to, it, it seems I to wish, me. I wish they were calling me. Oh yeah, but it seems to me as if, it's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when uh, that that call so. <laughs> that call will come. Whether it's the Duffer Brothers calling you from Stranger Things, oh my, or I love them, Zabka yeah. and uh, and Machio calling you for something like Karate Kid. I think there's an oh. appetite for that look back, and I think it has partly to do I with the fact it. that our generations <laughs> seem to be <laughs> uh, getting to that age where we do want to revisit a simpler time and, and yeah. experience that vicariously through a show like, yeah. as I said, Stranger Things or Cobra Kai or any of the others. Oh, and both of those I love so much. And, and I, I love that. I love that deep storytelling. Yeah. And I, 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 
I just, I mean, Cobra Kai is just pure joy. Mm-hmm. And yet you're learning, you know, it's these beautiful relationships and, and people learning and growing and trying to be better people and all those things. And I, I and Stranger Things is just so bizarre and fantastic. Yeah. Chock yeah. a block full of such good actors. And um, yes, any show like that, I, I just, and you know what? I love the morning show with um, Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. They're, they're just uh, Reese Witherspoon is doing such great work on that show. It's crazy. Oh and, God, yeah. Um, it's just so good. And um, Succession. Oh my gosh, the <laughs> acting on Succession. Anything like that. I was just like born to be on those shows, and I would, I would love, love, love to be, you know, offered a series role on a regular role on one of those great shows. Yeah. Gosh, it would just be. And I love working in television. And, it's just know- my jam. It's my favorite place to be. Yeah, and I can completely understand that because it's something that offers, I think, a longer-term job security that a film n- maybe doesn't necessarily yes. have, where you're shooting maybe for 30 days on a film, but a TV series yeah. can go for much longer and then multiple seasons. Plus, that platform now, the TV, as I was saying before, the TV platform is much more closely tied to theatrical filmmaking. So it's kind of the yeah. best best of both worlds. You have that longevity, the the job security combined with the legitimacy of working with serious directors and serious filmmakers, serious actors. And so yeah. there's it's all mushed together in that sense. But yeah. you know Well said. Yeah, but the, the thing that always bugs me uh, Amanda and I've had modest experience in Hollywood with cartoon animation and going to pitch meetings and dealing with studio executives and dealing with all the contradictions of that town. And one of the things that I came away with was observing this weird contradictory mix of liberalism and complete misogyny. I mean, not that I experienced, obviously didn't experience the misogyny (laughs) myself, but I saw it. I saw it happening to other people. Amy Schumer did a sketch on her show, on her Comedy Central show called The Last Fuckable Day. And it had (laughs) Julia Louis-Dreyfus in it and a couple of other uh, older actors where they commemorate the final day in which Hollywood will cast them. Right. And it's so funny. And so awfully <laughs> tragic all at the same yes. time, because there's there's no fairness to that. Um, no. It's sadly very true and very real for so many women in that town. Plus, there's this notorious behavior of people <clears throat> like Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, so on. Uh, you, mean, yeah. you must have brushed up against some of those contradictions yourself. It seems like you have. And if so, how did you how did you manage to navigate all those landmines? Well, <clears throat> I, honestly, uh, aside from, um, you know, probably not getting roles that I thought that I was going to get because I wasn't fuckable enough or whatever yeah. the men in charge were thinking of me, um, I didn't encounter myself. I have to say, knock on wood, I, I, I haven't had any, you know, sort of physical actions taken against me or mm-hmm. or I, I I know many women have and it's awful and this this business can be you know I, I just think as far as you know women I remember my agent telling me that if I wasn't a male agent um, mm-hmm. working solidly by the time I was 25 it was over and you know working a lot and I was like 25 like 
men are getting their breaks at like 50. Yeah. And then when I was 30, they were, you know, uh, they dropped me mm-hmm. because I was, I was just a character actor and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, um, starring in films. I was, Ugh. you know, the best friend in films. And they were like, you know, well now you're 30. Like basically that's your last fuckable day. Oh my um, God. See, I thought it was, I, think, I thought it was 40 because Kimberly always well, tells the story. So she was told, uh, at around that age that women lose their value at age 40, which oh, is yeah. one of the most uh, awful things I've ever heard in my life. And, it's true. And yeah. I think like, I just sort of leaned into being a character actor. I mean, I always say I'm an attractive character actor, but like I just leaned into that because I like those roles. I have fun doing that. And I, I just feel like it, it's given me longevity because it's not as much about how I look. Um, although I'm, you know, it helps that I'm attractive, but you know, I'm also in a place right now where I'm really old enough to play, like grandmothery kind of things, but I don't look it as much. And so I think it's a little confusing because I'm a little too old to play like the mother of a teenager perhaps, but I'm don't look old enough to play the mother of the 30 year old, you know? So I'm kind of also just in a, I think visually, but I think so much pressure is put on women about how they look. And Mm -hmm. so you, you know, as far as like just the, you know, Harvey Weinstein's of the business, um, you know, that that everyone I know has had an incident of some sort to varying degrees of pure awfulness to just annoyance. And yeah. you just you just had to go. It's what I, I have to when, when I was young. I mean, now it's different, but um you know, you just had to put your blinders on and keep going forward. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just, there wasn't, nobody was going to help you or save you or make it better because right. you were surrounded by a lot of people doing the same thing. So, well, my hope is that, uh, cause I'm noticing it happening with men now, uh, in that town where I think there's an expectation that you have to have a certain physique. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you want to potentially land a role on some Marvel project or a DC yeah. comics project or whatever, that you have to <clears throat> be ready to roll with this, yeah. you know, chiseled 3% body yeah. fat physique at, at any given moment. And I think that's putting, uh, a certain amount of a similar pressure on men that I hope in the long run, will enlighten the men in that town to the plight right. that women have been going through for so many decades. Uh, yeah. That always yeah. having to look great. And right. well, you know what I, I, I think about all, all the, this, cause you know, women are, you know, doing it too. Everybody's got their filters on and it, it's, it's just bizarre expectations, but I just want, I wish all these young people that are spending all their day in the gym would go to drama school because <laughs> I watch these things and they, they look great. Everybody's terrible. And you just go, come on. This is a craft that you're not a Abercrombie and Fitch model. You're, mm-hmm. you're supposed to be entertaining me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Uh, learn, learn how to act, but uh, <laughs> turn off the filters, stop yeah. going to the gym, <laughs> go to drama school. You know? Exactly. <laughs> 
But looking in from the outside, though, it seems like the convention circuit has been a wonderful thing for actors, a bit of a pension plan, so to speak, to yeah. su- supplement your continued acting work. Are, are the rumors true? I mean, do fanboys ask for, like, photos of your feet and things like that? I mean, there, was an, there, was <laughs> okay, a, there was a whole episode of the uh, the show Hacks about that with Gene yes. Smart, where they want to oh take God, pictures I of her feet. Show. Oh, and Shit's Creek. There was another uh, storyline in Shit's Creek with oh taking pictures another of people's feet. Show. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I've never had anybody ask for anything weird at a convention and oh good I I just I I mean I've had had, people have asked me to like sign their arm or whatever because they want to have it tattooed which is just freaky that you go (laughs) I I can't mean this much to this person like I just want (laughs) to tell you that you can't like my own guy doesn't have a tattoo with my name on it. Like, I feel like so there's yeah. things like that where I feel like I'm not worthy of that level of devotion. But nobody's ever asked for like, you know, can I see your boob? <laughs> give give oh, me a God. picture of your little toe. Yeah. Um, so I mean, much to much to my regret, I think I just don't have that level of sex appeal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know that about that, is, but, yeah, yeah. but you know, when you, when you were here and we were recording my show, uh, one of my co-hosts, David asked you about your favorite scene from better off dead. And you answered with yeah. that, that scene where you and John can't stop wiping your faces, which by the yeah. way is funny as hell. Uh, Thank but you. how conflicted are you when it comes to fielding questions about work that you did as much as 40 years ago, is it uh, a a weird mix of annoying and gratifying or does it lean more toward one end of that spectrum or another? Where do you land on, well, here's the thousandth question I fielded about (laughs) Spicoli in Fast Times, which uh, guilty, guilty as charged. So (laughs) how how annoying is that? No. Um, Okay. Well, there, 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 I have a couple answers to this question. The first one is, and I always remember this, that it might be my thousandth time answering it, but it's <laughs> your first time hearing it. Sure. And so I always remember that. Mm. Secondly, it's twofold. I, I'm super grateful for my legacy and, and I, I treat it with respect. And when people ask me questions, I, I believe they're treating my legacy with respect and I want to, you know, always try to be nice, even though Stephen, who I live with, sometimes says I'm not. I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, but um, I also sometimes I wish people would come with me into this present and give my current career as much attention um, because it would be nice to feel, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, Current, contemporary, yeah, current, yeah. current yeah. yeah. Just that I'm, that I, you know, you're not just this now. relic from 1982. That you exactly. have a career that continues through today. Yeah, that makes and, perfect and sense. And so, like, that's always been more that it just hurts my feelings. That mm-hmm. you know, I think just because I'm sensitive, it just hurts my feelings. I like, oh gosh, I wish people would. Well, I wish the A-list people were still hiring me, so I would have something that kept me, you know, current and, you know, feeling like I'm still, you know, in the, in the thick of things. So, but I, I just always remember that it's the first time that person who asks it is hearing it. And and that's important because we need to be polite to each other and, um, you know, oh, relevant. That's the word I was looking for. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, You know, it would be nice to feel 
you know, currently irrelevant, but you know, it, it is what it is right now. And um, conventions are a really interesting and fun way to, first of all, feel like a rock star for a weekend, but also to connect with people. And just, I love hearing everyone's stories about what movie they loved of mine and mm-hmm. why, it, what made it important to them. And people tell really emotional stories and I feel really um, honored that they want to tell me, tell me something like that or share a, an yeah. intimate thing. And I just, I always feel that it's important at a convention that everyone gets my undivided attention and that everyone walks away feeling that it was worth waiting in line to see me and that they, that their life, you know, that they're happy because they did. And, and that's, so when I go, that's always my, you know, my intention. Is there a project that you wish you were asked about more often? Like, okay, well, there's this one thing that, uh, or uh, several projects that I was really, really proud of the work I did. And and they were really excellent pro- the behind, whether it's behind the scenes or what turned up in the final right. edit. Are there things that you, God, I wish people would ask me about that thing. <laughs> well, there, there's a movie, all the people do ask about it and it and it's it's very beloved in the native american community it's a movie i did in 1988 i think or 87 um it's called powwow highway yes and it's based based off a book and i i just am so honored that i get to be in that film and play such a fun crazy character and um another one is a movie i did that it's not a great movie and it has issues, but it's my favorite performance I've ever done is a movie called the id that came out in 2016, I think 2014, 2016. Yes. And it just, it just never got any traction because it just, it it had, it, it, you know, it just didn't have any traction. Um, It just kind of stayed in its own little void, but um, that was as a grown up in this day and age, it's my probably, my favorite thing I got to deep dive into. Yeah, you were until the, the Duffer Brothers call. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But you were the lead in that in the id, right? So that was. Yeah. I mean, you. I think you were on the poster, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Incredible. And it it, it was just such a like a crazy weird little movie. And then, but I, you know, the thing is. I don't rule the world, which I wish I did. Um, but, you know, people are just going to ask what they're going to ask. And yeah, I, yeah. I just feel grateful that people still ask. You know what I mean? Like I'm still, you know, somebody's thinking of me. And um, can I ask you a question? Um, absolutely. Sure. I don't know if we can talk about this, but <laughs> what are you going to do about Twitter? Uh, that's a great question. I you know feel- what? It's so funny you asked that because I was just going to ask you about social media and staying okay. up to date with that because that's now become a part of the process of being an actor these yeah. days. You have to maintain social media and have a presence yeah. there. But that's a really good question. I'm sticking around on Twitter until either my account is canceled or it's breached by hackers <laughs> so that I right. can't use it anymore. Uh, but I feel like uh, from a political point of view, Part of what's happening with Elon Musk is that he's trying to drive away people like me. 
And quite honestly, people like you. He's trying to drive away normals so that this gigantic communications platform that was developed not by him, by other other smarter people, would then become co-opted by you know, weirdos and Nazis and fascists and assholes and trolls. Yeah. And then that becomes amplified through the megaphone of Twitter just in time for the 2024 election. So I feel in a sense that I probably should stick around as long as I'm able to in order to maintain a footprint. You know what I mean? Okay. That makes total sense. And that is the reason I am still on there because I'm, I'm not a, a huge voice on there, but I am, you know, I'm, I'm a, a fantastic retweeter. And also I do some, I, I do like commenting (laughs) on things. And so I, I feel like I, in my own small way, am a version of the voice you're talking about. And Mm -hmm. I do have noticed though, that since in the last month that I'm already like not in some sort of algorithm. Does that make sense? Like my posts aren't being seen. And yeah, I, I, yeah. I, 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 so something is happening there, but I, I'm, I'm going to stick around, but I'm, I'm moving towards doing most things just on Instagram yeah. because I think like, it's just a, you know, but, but I'm still <laughs> politically Twitter's like, my jam. <laughs> Instagram is a, is my happy place. Uh, and it's yes. weird because Instagram is not the happy place of so many people. Insta- there's so many toxic things about Instagram, but at the same time, I think yeah. your experience on Instagram is kind of how you curate it, how you curate what you see and what yeah. you absorb. And I think if you can figure that out, if you can kind of game the algorithm to only get the things that you really, really want to see, then it's a yeah. little bit safer. But I know a lot of kids are having a, a hard time with Instagram. Even though it's very, very popular among kids, it's also very destructive at the same time. So oh, it's just awful. Yeah, I yeah. just can't even imagine having young kids and teenagers mm-hmm. having grown up where they have a presence on social media. Yeah. I mean, because kids can be so horrible to each other in person. Mm-hmm. And then you give them anonymity and you're just basically giving them a weapon yeah. to hurt, you know, people that, you know, whatever, what, what, why do, why, why is somebody picked out to be bullied? Mm-hmm. Who knows the myriad of reasons. It's awful. I, I, I've seen kids in my family be bullied and it's just so awful. And as an adult, you want to go and just harm somebody yeah. else's <laughs> I child. Know it makes me psychotic. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just like, I, if I could, I just want to eliminate you from the planet, which is a horrible thing to think about somebody else's child, but <laughs> I have thought that. <laughs> but it happens. Kids can be cruel. And when, yeah, when you add that level of anonymity, whether it's a kid or a grown up, it's the same sort of behavior. When you take away that accountability of having your name attached, then suddenly anything yeah. goes because you can get away with it and it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. On Twitter, especially when if my political comments, mm-hmm. oh, people have said just the meanest things and you just go dude you have a cartoon character as your avatar or (laughs) or your avatar as a cartoon character and you're saying really mean things and Mm -hmm. and you wouldn't do that like if you were to if you were in person or maybe they would who knows i don't know i just find it well i mean i i'm sorry go ahead no you go oh i was gonna say um 
the thing with me and social media is, and I'm I'm positive that this applies to you as well, is I feel there's a commitment that I need to do it. It's not so much that I love to do it, which to a certain extent I do, um, but there's also a, hey, look, I'm still here kind of thing where... In the old days, you, you would look for a tabloid headline to keep your name somehow in top of mind for people that you're trying to get work from or whatever. But now you can use yeah. social media and kind of, <clears throat> and this is all in a positive sense, you can kind of sculpt your existence based on social media and yeah. and maintain a presence that you couldn't do before. And I think right. in that regard, it's immensely positive while at the same time being this this beast that you feel like you constantly have to feed. So there is a yeah. positive side and a negative side to that. Don't you think? I agree. Well said. Yeah. And I, I, everything that you said, well, then you, I'm going to stick around on Twitter. Cause I was going to quit in January, but yeah. maybe I'll stick around. And I just am not there as much as I used to. Right. Right. Scrolling and, through. And as you said, Instagram is becoming, I think more and more of that platform that sort of, Hey, I'm still here platform. As I was saying before, uh, yeah. where Twitter has and kind I, of it, got this reputation as being a bathroom wall that we all <laughs> scrawl graffiti on, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I know it's, it, I, I, there's a lot of mud slinging, but sometimes it's it's fun to get in the mud. Yeah, I don't know. absolutely. Okay, yeah. well, Amanda, I appreciate I kept you long, way, way long. <laughs> I, I'm sorry if I've uh, <laughs> overstayed my welcome, but I really, really appreciate you coming on today. And it's such a pleasure knowing you and, and talking with you and, and getting your perspectives on, on all of these things. And I wish you nothing but the best. Oh, Bob, thank you so much. And literally right back at you and give Kimberly a hug. And um, I hope that we all see each other again very soon because that was really fun. Stay.